This is CliffCentral.com. Oh, it ain't nothing. We got nothing. There ain't nothing more. No borders, cliffcentral.com. 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. every Friday. It's your boy KF. You already know. Oh, man, what a week it's been. In fact, this is one of the greatest weeks I've had in a while because there's a certain gentleman who's in the studio today who I've been trying to get onto the show for the past eight weeks. Uh, and each and every time he was one or the other African nation. And um, it's a very busy man. Uh, Brian Kagoro, I first met in 2005. At the Holiday Inn I think it was an international women's litigation conference um, In Harare And he was introduced to me by my mentor Arnold Sunga And he said one day this man shall be president At that point in time I'm a young You know spirited uh, mentor And I'm thinking yeah whatever Brian Who really cares uh, Brian Kagoro welcome to the show Thank you um, Brian, A brief background of Brian Kagoro He's a um, lawyer Consultant uh, Pan-Africanist Foremost I think that's that's the biggest word we're going to use today, of course, because of the concept of no borders, and even more so, uh, developmental governance and enthusiast. Brian, uh, maybe a brief background of the organizations that you've been with and the work that you've done across the continent. Well, I've worked with uh, organizations like uh, ActionAid International, the United Nations Development Program, done work with uh, the African Union. Also done work with NEPAD, uh, done work with the Center for Citizen Participation in the African Union, and I chair the board of uh, Atrocities Watch Africa, and I also chair the board of Greenpeace Africa. Wow, that is that is a CV. I'm, I'm always bra- I'm always talking about people who like to come on the show and brag. I mean, you could have just given us two, <laughs> and I think that would have been enough. <laughs> but yeah, um, so why this show has been important to me and why we've wanted to do it for so long is because, of course, the concept of no borders is. Um, trying to bring African dialogue together in one show and spreading, you know, knowledge and information about each other as African nations. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the state of affairs in Africa currently. And we're going to start off, I mean, this, this week in itself is a very big week because we have, first of all, let's look at the Rwandese elections that are currently being held. That's, that's today, right? I think, um, before we get into Kagame's third term issues, uh, we'll definitely want to look at, um, a major, um, Let's say development that they had with their elections That they allowed uh, people from the diaspora to vote at their significant embassies um, What was the process for that to then come about? And, and what does that say for African politics and African elections in general? I think it's a realization that the reconstruction of Rwanda Has been driven by people who are in Rwanda And people who are outside the country who remit resources, mm-hmm. but also that citizenship is not limited by absence from one's country. Exactly. Yeah, and and there is a thinking. There is a uh, if one if one may say so, there is a schizophrenic identity to African leadership. Mm. One that embraces this idea of a universal international citizenship, and one that fears anything that's not within the remit of control. Mm. So the Rwandan example perhaps is one worth emulating. For most African countries, there's a significant portion of their citizens that's outside their country, mm-hmm. whether for economic, political, or social reasons. Okay. And enabling them to vote uh, shows that uh, those who are in power are not uncomfortable uh, with allowing citizens to express themselves wherever they may be located. It, it, but it, it brings about that conundrum where we're now saying uh, uh, there's a number of people who do feel that Kagame is leaning towards... A sort of dictatorship kind of role Especially with his seeking of a third term 
um, where do you see that that um, that situation? I um, I think that limitation of term of office is generally a good uh, idea. Specifically, but, saying yeah, generally, no, yeah. generally, mm-hmm. but I think that it is not the definition of democracy. Mm-hmm. Germany has no limitation of terms. Exactly. The United Kingdom does not have mm-hmm. limitation of terms. Mm-hmm. We've never so much as suggested that Angela Merkel is a dictator. Yes. Exactly. So the idea that. In looking at a specific national context, the citizens in a referendum decided that they had a leader who they wanted to continue um, is one that is consistent with democracy. If the leader had on his own with a, a few parliamentarians altered the constitution mm-hmm. without any recourse to the people, mm-hmm. then you would have said this is authoritarianism. Okay. But if the leader goes back to the people to ask them and the people affirm that they are happy with the removal. It is not up to any one of us sitting in the privilege of our countries and our unique circumstances to dictate to Rwanda or any other country. What because they have do. exercised their sovereignty. Yeah. And But, Brian, I, I think the issue comes when the West, it, it's as if, if you're an ally of the West, you are not, um, you're not dismissed for certain, even in, no matter how democratic um, referendums are because if we look at the same situation with Hugo Chavez, mm-hmm. um, he did hold a referendum and he was elected by his own people to become president for life. Um, but the international community, mainly the West, um, threw a tantrum and said, "No, I mean that that is not possible. Why, why is there not a conflict of interest there?" I think what has happened is that the the West's response to Hugo Chavez and the West's response to Kagame has been the same. The difference is the resoluteness of the Rwandan people in support of the position they had taken. Okay. And, and, and they are not moved an inch by any suggestion that this, this amendment to the constitution, which was done through interesting processes, which is the referendum, the parliamentary vote, and so on and so forth. Okay. My, my sense is that politics and governing one's country is not a beauty context, and the West is not our suitor. Mm-hmm. If we were to vote on democracy in the West, and in particular, the sort of uh, stuff that you see in America and the leadership style where president by executive order bans whole groups of countries and populations, mm-hmm. would we call Trump a Democrat or a dictator? Okay. If we were to vote on Russia, if we were mm-hmm. to vote on Germany, if we were to vote in England where a prime minister calls an election and loses <laughs> and has to scramble around for an ally in mm-hmm. some remote place, would, if that were to happen in Africa, the indictment would be so scathing. Mm-hmm. So my sense is that as Africans, we must build the self-confidence in believing that we govern for the interest of our people. Exactly. To the extent that our people are getting services and we are delivering, mm-hmm. uh, that all, that's all that should matter. It is different when we are not performing where there is no service to the people. And the extension of one's stay in power is purely to perpetuate uh, accumulation by an elite. Mm-hmm. And that would be totally different. So the judgment of whether or not something is democratic should be based on to what extent does it deliver the dividend of democracy. It, it cannot be pinned on one one pillar alone. It's multiple things that we need to look no. at that come in yeah. conjunction. Yeah, so let me give you an example. Trump goes to the White House with his son, <laughs> and with his, uh, sorry, his daughter, he goes with his son-in-law. Ivanka, if yes. that were to happen in Africa, 
we, a country would have been burnt down. Exactly. We exactly. would describe it as, as a corruption. Yeah, yes. exactly. So in a sense, the Americans are not even worried that Africans would see this as monarchical rule. And you see, coming from you, Brian, and, and I know that you've been in civic society for a very long time. I'm, I'm digressing from mm. most of the other points that I want to get to. But um, coming from civic society, you see, our view or the view that has been promulgated upon us by media, obviously, of, of civic society and NGOs has been to come and perpetuate a, situ- uh, um, a status of colonialism, neo-colonialism mm-hmm. per se. To say you need to rely on us and then we can make decisions within your country. But I like how you are pushing the agenda that in, in as much as, you know, we might work with these people, they cannot dictate what happens on the ground within Africa and that as a people, we need to come together and be able to push forward in regards to what exactly we want. Mm-hmm. Looking at that same stance and that same point, the Kenyan elections. Mm-hmm. And I was speaking to you earlier, I think a couple of days ago, and we were talking about um, the results that came from the report that was supposed to come from the... Um, uh, Truth and Recon- Reconciliation Commission mm-hmm. Do you feel that These elections should not have occurred Before those that report Had been um, had been published Ideally yes But the reality is that if the elections Had not been held according to the Constitutional date and we'd waited for The much needed that would have been report a problem That well. would have been a problem as well But I think the Kenyan conundrum is this That Kenya has over centuries uh, uh, and I know this may sound like hyperbole, mm-hmm. uh, they have over-essentialized identity politics. So being Kikuyu, Luo, mm-hmm. Kisi, and they have made it the central uh, mobilizing factor in the election. And this is why diversity management becomes problematic. Moving towards an issue-based election, which is not tethered by the ethnic, ethnic negative tribal, ethnic or yes. tribal, it becomes problematic. But it is also important because the state is for the elite, irrespective of their tribe. And you spend a lot of time in Kenya. Yeah, a site of accumulation. So the political elite are also the economic elite. <laughs> so in a sense, the dilemma you see in Kenya is one of uh, not only the state not being able to deliver to the citizenry, but the state being captured both by corporate and ethnic interests. So ethnic groups have elevated themselves into political parties, which have elevated themselves into governing entities. And and what was the the main cause of the post-election violence that was in 2007? I think it is both histor- it is historical primarily because historically there has been a, a a feeling of unease over the distribution of privilege of opportunity and of resources uh, if you look at the ethnic demography but there's also a generational issue that was a sub-factor in it that the younger people in Kenya generally felt that they were locked out of the premises of governance okay. mm-hmm. and the economy. Which is also, I think, mainly an issue across the board in Africa. Yeah. So the concoction of these factors made uh, the situation uh, liable to manipulation. And also just basically because of anger, people don't need much encouragement to express themselves. And, and it's, it's funny because a lot of people, when looking at the Kenyan situation right now, would only think of Uhuru. But this, like you said, this is a generational problem and it didn't start in this decade. It didn't even start in the past two decades. It probably started three or four decades ago. Um, Uhuru, coming from the family that he comes from, um, unfortunately, I, I was in Kenya for a month in uh, 2015, 2014, 2015. Um, and you don't get to see much when you're on the ground, of course, as a tourist. And then I followed him on social media. It does look that he has like as if he has the support of the people. What would your opinion be in terms of that? I think when you have a tender state, 
uh, as Kenyans have done and not Uhuru, into an ethnocratic order, <laughs> is that people will support various elites uh, and different elites. Um, so Uru does have supporters, and they don't support him purely because he's Kikuyu. Some support him because they think he's good looking. <laughs> Others support him because they support his policies. Others support him because they think he's younger. Equally so, Raila Odinga mm-hmm. has supporters, not only because he's Luo. Some support him because they share his ideology. Mm-hmm. Some support him because he leads the protest uh, quotient within the country. My sense is what, Ke- the, what Kenya must find is that national interest that will predominate irrespective of what the ethnic and tribal interest and shenanigans and maneuvering are. Looking at um, another election that's definitely not this week, but uh, coming up in 2018, the Zimbabwean elections. Mm-hmm. Um, something that is very interesting is, you know, the, the, the popping up of um, certain individuals, you know, coming from social from a social media perspective. And then moving on, I, I love how it, be, it started online and has gone offline. Uh, looking at um, advocate Fadzai Mahere, mm-hmm. uh, who is now running for member of parliament in um, um Mount Pleasant constituents. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Vimbaim Sawuri, mm-hmm. who's uh, down in Matebeland. Um, and these are very young people, people in their 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that social media and probably um, these few individuals will spur, uh, first of all, independent parliamentarians? And do you think any change can actually come of this in regards to Zimbabwe as a state? All things being equal, it may have. But Zimbabweans like South Africa are politically monogamous. <laughs> they are tied either by uh, emotion mm-hmm. or by other factors to political loyalties. And so the, the issue won't be whether the single individual offers cogent policies. It will be whether the collective presenting itself against the ruling ZANU-PF has the likelihood of winning. So they are likely to suffer because of this uh, we are in a moment of both transition and succession, succession mm-hmm. in that country. Mm-hmm. That a country which has been ruled for 36 years by the same dynasty mm-hmm. perhaps may be looking to what is the most probable option when you want to exit that domination. So they, they may be a footnote of a larger national concern. Mm-hmm. Now this is not a, a judgment on whether or not they are capable. This is not even a judgment of their mobilizational capacity. We saw prior with uh, uh, Margaret Dongo uh, in Zimbabwe that it is possible for one of those independent candidates to garner sufficient votes, either by personal appeal or by other networks. Mm -hmm. My sense is it is good that young people are offering themselves. They may not reap the dividend immediately within Mm -hmm. the 2018 election. They certainly will prepare them for the 2023 election. And I think they need to be realistic in what is possible given the highly polarized environment that Zimbabwe is in. And of course, like you said, successionism and, and, you know, and the new and, uh, um, 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 uh, successfully within the ruling party and then, um, trying to have, uh, other parties come in. It is difficult because as an independent, uh, some might feel like you're taking away from the one party that might actually bring about change, which is obviously the coalition. How are things with the coalition at present? What is the coalition? Who are the members of the coalition? What are the significant parties? I think it's the Transparency Initiative, uh, the uh, former MDC coalition coming together. There are positives around that coalition and there are also concerns. 
they went their separate ways between 2005 and uh, 2010 because uh, they had fundamental differences, whether their personality or leadership style. Mm-hmm. They have come together, joined by the very same thing that had brought them together in the first place, which is the desire to unseat uh, Robert Mugabe mm-hmm. and Zanu Piaf. I'm not sure that they have entirely resolved the baggage mm-hmm. that caused the split in the same time. So that's a one element. But the, their fundamental challenge is one that we all face, that the demographics of the country have significantly changed, that uh, over 80% of the people who must vote are under the age of 35. Mm-hmm. That means that if you present a leadership that does not necessarily appeal to that 80% of your voters, you are likely... Not to do any better than you would have historically mm-hmm. uh, So in a sense there's a lot to be done But I suspect that the coalition will be held together By the realization that ZANU has gained a lot of ground uh, In the lull, in the oppositional lull Caused by many factors ZANU-PF has been able to campaign, to mobilize And I would not be dismissive of the youth rallies that ZANU-PF has held mm-hmm. uh, And I, I do not believe that all of the tens of thousands that have pitched up Is because they've been forced so I think the opposition does realize that this poses a sufficient threat, an existential threat. And 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 I think the biggest problem as well is that even though we have yes we are in support of of change, um, but we don't want change that is just going to end up the same as the people who are trying to change. Mm-hmm. And the MDC and, and all these coalitions have brought up the same faces that we have seen over the past two decades. Um, what exactly is going to change? Have your policies changed? Has your methodology changed? Why are you coming with the same formula that you had the last time now? Are, are you being, um, because I mean, then the fear, especially from us young people, is that you're opportunists. You pop up out of nowhere every time that there's an election and we're no longer dumb. I mean, we're educated and we know that, uh, elections mean big money. Um, so for example, one of the issues why Changirai, uh, had his issues with, um, the various, um, individuals within the MDCT, was because his term of office within the party had ended, but he refused to move. How do you think they're going to be able to tackle that in this case? I think that there's a, you know, political politicians are impelled by exigencies of the moment. The grand uh, value issues Mm. um, pale in the face of them. So in in, in my estimation is that that the if you had new candidature altogether, the t- the takeoff period between now and the next election, which has to happen before the thirty first of July, is too short for anybody to, to sell gain, okay. gain that momentum. So you are stuck with recycling the old faces and mm-hmm. perhaps with a few cherries added on top. My sense <clears throat> is the change in tack, uh, the change in uh, strategy is one perhaps that we are going to see as these come together because they've learned certain things in their separate existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what should not be let go is the encouragement to them to include more young people, the encouragement to them to be a little bit broad-minded in terms of how they evolve their policies. The forthcoming election is hardly going to be fought uh, squarely on policy issues. They are highly emotive issues that have been generated by the factionalism within ZANU-PF, mm-hmm, some of the fractions that you're seeing within the oppositional moment, and also the regional reality. Uh, before Zimbabwe's theater of politics happened, when you had a strong South Africa united under a leader Mbeki at mm-hmm. the time, and South Africa was not bedeviled by the sort of uh, challenges it had. So, we, uh, and Mbeki played a role 
in chaperoning <laughs> whipping people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Zuma has not been as fortunate in terms of retaining the national consensus. Uh, and as such, South Africa is looking inward to deal with its own impending succession yes. and transition. Mm-hmm. So there's no godfather in the region who's going to be holding anyone at bay. Wow. So it's gloves off. Mozambique is busy with its own <laughs> internal issues. Zambia, busy, busy with exactly, its yeah. own internal issues. Uh, Lesotho, mm-hmm. busy. Swaziland, need I say more. Mm. So in a sense, we have a region that is in crisis, but which has not yet agreed that it is in crisis, which has not yet diagnosed itself as needing urgent care. And Zimbabwe is only symptomatic of a much bigger uh, governance uh, challenge that we're Within the with. region. Yeah. That is very disturbing. Um, and, and moving on, I mean, looking at, uh, and you spoke about, you know, having that, that chaperone or the, that, that, um, you know, that bigger figure within, within a region. Uh, you did send me that article on Olusuke Noba Sanjo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's very worrying in terms of, you know, besides, um, from a Nigerian perspective, on an African perspective that, because Olusuke Nobosanjo, after stepping down, well, not stepping down, after losing the election and willingly saying, okay, my time is done, I shall leave. Um, it is, it, it, it's funny how he has been portrayed as an elder, but these things are coming up. And what has that done to the image of Olusuke Nobosanjo? What has that done to the image of our elders within the African region? I must point out that that fire say mm-hmm. who's making these allegations himself wants to be president. Okay. When you talk to Chief Olushegun uh, Obasanjo's people, they suggest that these are just uh, rantings of a delusional character. Is that why he has not responded? Right. That's why he has not responded. But assuming that it were true, which is disputed by many, um what we get in an insight of is the the shenanigans uh, that issues in South Africa are not determined purely within the context of South Africa. Issues in Zimbabwe are not different. Mm-hmm. That the financing of elections and of the path to power in most of our countries is a bunch of elites across the continent mm-hmm. reinforcing each other. Which is why Fayose claimed that he um, there was a secret meeting in in Libya, in Libya yeah. uh, with Muammar Gaddafi, and where yeah. he was, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. in a sense. What is true and what is known within the political corridors and circles is that African elites uh, do invest in elections outside of their countries. And those investments may be tied to pecuniary or economic interests, or they may be tied to political uh, dividends that they will reap later on, which is what makes it difficult for you to appeal to any single person to hold the other to account because they know each other's secrets. So my sense is, Eldership, Olushagano, Basanjo and Becky and uh, the late Masirenko uh, have done a lot uh, for the continent post their election. In fact, one would have hoped that they didn't get into power at all. And some <laughs> of the things that docked them when they're in power, because they've done well post power. Yeah. Uh, I would think that that role Mugabe would have done an even much better job had he not had this tenacity for office mm. because he had the persona, he had the intellectual fortitude. But the personal weakness that has kept him in power and others in power is what has obliterated their legacy. And it is useful for many African elites to learn this critical lesson. But you see, Brad, which is what I don't get because I was about to get into, 
you see, there was a time, I think it was last year, maybe but the past two years, where we did start gaining hope as Africans. Um, I was confusing um, Obasanjo with uh, Good Luck Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Um, Good Luck Jonathan lost an election, and you know, people thought that there was going to be, uh, you know, chaos, or, you know, but he did step down and say, okay, yes, here I have lost. Um, then there was the issue in Gabon, where, of course, the incumbent did not, you know, accept, but. The rest of the state entities and some of his own supporters and followers and, 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 you know, some of the people within his party said, no, no, Baba, it is done for you. Please do step down. And without any violence, someone who had been in power for so long was able to be removed from power. And these are, these were steps forward that we thought, okay, Africa is moving in the right direction. Eco was a, was a bigger part of, you know, what happened in Gabon. Then we look at Tanzania with Magufuli. Um, I mean, he has brought so much change within, within Tanzania in terms of corruption and, you know, putting people to task. Why has this not started a fire across the region to say, okay, our politics must change as Africans? I I think that we judge ourselves unfairly. Russia has a problem in Chechnya. We don't call it a tribal war, right? Northern (laughs) Ireland has had a problem between Catholics and Protestants. We don't Mm -hmm. call it a tribal war. Mm. We use this hyperbole to, to judge things. Now, think about the characters. We have 54 nations. Are there things going wrong? Yes. We're the, we're the youngest of all democracies in the world. Mm-hmm. America has this inelegant and unpleasantness that has been brought by Trump. Mm-hmm. Yet America is over 250 yes, years as old. a democracy. Yeah. Yeah. They're still struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there room for us to struggle? Yes. Is there room for us to do better? Yes. Uh, I would not judge Africa on the basis of its worst performance. I'll judge Africa on the basis of some of the things going well. The very fact that we have young people who are creating value. We have business people creating value. We have civil society creating value. That's why we don't accept that the news about Africa should only be about excesses of the elite. Mm -hmm. If we were all just to focus on Western and Eastern elites, we would think that Africa is better governed than Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Right. So my sense is let's, let's, let's in our judgment of the continent, not be too forgiving uh, of a leadership that's moribund, that has no agenda for development and for nations, that is focused on corruption and accumulation. But at the same time, let us not reduce whole nations into the excesses of a few individuals. And some of the steps uh, that have been made that to been actually made. positivity. Yeah. I think, and, and, um, Akon, the Senegalese uh, musician has been talking about the way we portray ourselves. Um, our, our media portrays Africa in itself, the image that we give outside there. You, you don't find out about all this, the, the wrongs or the evils that are being done in the U.S. because what they portray of themselves is greatness. Uh, and I think it, it's up to us as media individuals and I mean just generally people to portray a better image of, of, um, of Africa. And one thing just to finalize on this, on this point would be, um, South Africa and I, I, they come up with so many random um, statements and, and phrases that I'm not too familiar with. Transformation and uh, the newest is state capture. Um, first of all, I'm not sure what where that term stemmed from. I think they created it for their certain um, their own uh, you know situation. But um, what would you? What are your views on the issue of the Guptas, Zuma, and state capture? The is it not being um, what is the word that I'm looking for? Is it not being pushed to a level that it's, it's not, I mean, to call someone, to call a, a family, um, and, and one individual and use the word state capture, I think it's, is it not a bit too extreme? I think that all states are captured. Let's start off with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, South African state has since apartheid been subject to the control and manipulation of certain wealthy families and individuals. Mm-hmm. 
they have been less brazen and overt about it. The Gupta's misfortune is because the amateurs at this capture business, <laughs> so they've tended to be brazen in their in the, in what they do. But where a political elite, especially the upper echelons of the state, are so beholden to the interest of a minority, economic minority, to the extent that that minority determines appointments in governments and so on and so forth, it is useful to refer to that as a capture of the democratic process. I would have called it a diversion of the democratic process. And Guptas are only a small pack. I wish that the public protector would investigate the influence of the leading 150 corporations in South Africa on decision-making right from the local level mm -hmm. to the provincial level and elsewhere. We might find out that the Guptas represent the amateur league of state capture, <laughs> that there are others in the Premier League. And this is not to excuse them at all, mm -hmm. but this is to suggest once you've put the issue on the table, Let's deal with it holistically. Mm -hmm. The scapegoating of one particular family, whether it's the Zuma or the Guptas, is insufficient to deal with a structural problem that affects the performance of state, that affects the delivery of the economy, and that affects the influence that corporates have on decision-making in South Africa. And I think it, it, it also, I think the biggest problem is that it, a lot of opposition parties use what they can not necessarily for the benefit of the nation, but for the benefit of their own interests in gaining in gaining power. But uh, to round it up, um, Brian, it's, like we said, state of African affairs. Where would you put, in a more general sense, where would you put Africa um, in the next ten years in terms of governance? You being um, a developmental governance enthusiast, I think Africa will be much better than, than where we are now for several reasons. The whether it's fees must fall or whatever protest mm -hmm. you're seeing in South Africa, the protest you're seeing in Kenya and elsewhere. African citizens are more committed than ever before to hold their leaders to account. But African citizens are more committed than ever before to be primary actors in their own development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we are also seeing the emergence of a very proud, self-confident group of young Africans who are saying the West is important, but it is not all that we aspire for. for we sense, aspire yeah. to be ourselves on our own terms mm -hmm. and to develop on our own terms. So the West reduces everything in Africa into three things. Animals that they visit, <laughs> uh, corrupt leaders mm. that they corrupt, <laughs> right? <laughs> Hunger and disease that is caused by their weakening of our states. Mm. But we have young people who are saying we are ill but not we're not so ill as those who are not able to innovate to good health, right? We're poor, but we're not so poor-minded as those who are not able to create value. The same technologies in the West, we have them. And that's why African young people are leading in how we use social media to do several things. And I think that Africa's hope lies in a citizenry that is self-confident, that has self-belief. Gone are the days where we decry the fact that we have bad leaders. For goodness sake, we can lead from our living rooms. Mm -hmm. We can lead from our studios. Mm -hmm. We can lead from the stage when we are singing or doing our poetry. Every single one of us has the power to author that new Africa. And Africa is too important to be left to politicians. Precisely. Brian Kogoro, thank you very much. Um, this is eight weeks that I've, eight weeks in the making. I'm glad I was patient enough. We start off the show with a brand new track from Audius Mtari and Yagi Dojo called Ego. We're about to get into another brand new track from Silent Go called Ziguvu. Mo Boris is back after a sec.
is cliffcentral.com. No borders to boy KF. What's Gucci? So yeah, um, we we had a very uh, prolific individual on the show. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are kind of tired, brains are swamped. Uh, unfortunately, millennials are not used to listening to knowledge for that long anymore. It's the truth, though. That's why Snapchat is so short. It's like 15 <laughs> seconds. Spans of concentration. I bet after 15 minutes, they're like, hey, Baba, he's saying the right things, but <laughs> the brain is no longer processing, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, and this is the whole concept that we have on No Borders. It's, it's about enlightenment and edutainment, you know, bring the two together. And a lot of the issues that we, one thing I've always said is that we lack mentors. Our generation lacks mentors. Like all our leaders focus on retaining power or gaining power. And at the same time, unfortunately, they don't focus on actually mentoring, um, mentoring, you know, uh, new leaders and so forth and so on. But we shall mentor ourselves yes. with no borders, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Angela and Bong Yu on the show. Um, Angela and Bong Yu are going to be at the Strike the Rock Women in Music Festival. Everything these days is about women. Is there anything about men except men are trash? No, there's no. a lot. Yeah, a lot. Like? Like PG-13. Not How right. bad. <laughs> we have, we have a rhythm section of men and the whole philosophy around being a gender blended band is that they carrying us type mm-hmm. of thing. So men aren't always trash. They I, can no, I'm be just talking about like events. Men. Like every time I'm fed, oh, so we've got a women's conference on this and then there's a women's conference and then women are developing other women on this and then there's even their high teas. I think, Brian, you should think of maybe doing a high whiskey. Because <laughs> there's nothing but I for feel the like I feel like you guys don't want to do anything. Like so many events that I know are male, and they want to host women's events. Yes, yes. Because events because the minute I do something for men, like men are trash. You see, no, doing something not, without us. That's <laughs> not true. Not always true, man. Okay, Angela Bongo. So introduce the band. You said the band's called PG Thirteen. Yes. yes. Genre, your roles. Talk to us. Okay, cool. So PG-13 is a gender-blended band, as I said. Mm-hmm. And calling us a band is a bit weird. I like to call us like... A spir- No, spiritual no. expressionists, you know? Okay. Yeah, because within the band, stuff. we're not just... Are you guys musicians. just trying to be deep because Brian was being deep? <laughs> no! <laughs> not okay, no. okay, go ahead, no. go ahead, go okay, ahead. Okay, because like... We've, I'm um, coined our own genre. Okay. Okay. We're not Afro punk, Afro pop. Yeah. You, you, yeah. I, I like that. I like you that. You know, yeah. but we are Sangoma pop. We call okay. it Sangoma pop. And the reason for this is that if you go into the Nguni li- linguistics, um, the prefix sa means it's two things. It's a doing word, mm-hmm. but it also refers to we. Okay. Right. And then the last part is Ngoma, which is a song. So basically, Sangoma Papas are saying that we have a song within us that we want everyone wow, to hear. Wow. So Love we're not going like to throw that. bones. Yeah. But it's also your right to throw bones if you do. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's all good. Shout out to you, Boiti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, so. Okay, what's, what's, our, Bongye, what, what do you do in the band? Uh, I'm in a, the vo- group, in I'm the, a yeah. vocalist. You're a vocalist, so y'all yes, sing. Yes, and unfortunately, and a, a viewer didn't holler at me. She, she was supposed to come then. We we're just supposed to talk about the festival. But then, I mean, I would have loved to have one of your songs and then we could have played it on the show, but we can always do that next week. Definitely. So, um, yeah, and how did the group start up? Um, where have you guys performed? And I know you said, you know, you, you call it Sangam, but what, what do I expect to hear? <laughs> Okay, so we started off as three girls. 
right? Um, Natasha, who is no longer with us, who was from Zambia. She's from Zambia. Bongiwe, who's basically so from Zambia. Also Zim. crossing borders. So we okay. are also crossing no borders. borders. <laughs> you know, like living. we have music in yeah. Nyanja okay. as well, you know, and all Nguni languages as well as non-Nguni languages type of thing. So we used to host shows in our hood. Um, in Kempton Park Because okay. there was no live music there But it was charity based It was called Food for Soul And so every month we had to book bands And that was hard on the pocket yeah, So yeah. we were like, you know what Let's I'm do this ourselves Let's do this yeah. ourselves So then yeah. we formed a band And that gave birth to PG-13 But then when we started employing guys with jazz degrees <laughs> changing Completely like Wait, jazz degrees? A degree yeah, in jazz? Yes, yes. Wow <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My parents would not have paid <laughs> well, Our whole rhythm section is qualified I like, mean that's, that's amazing And it, it shows the progress Same as Brian was talking about Like it shows the progress within Africa Like my generation 10 years ago no, There's no way Even to go and study English Bachelors They're like Baba, You need to go and study Bachelor in what? Who's paying? Eh? Or even if you're on a bursary You're wasting a desert on English but I mean, there's so much that can come out in terms of like the diversity of education. And, and I think some of the, uh, the degrees that we did are actually going to be obsolete in the next five to 10 years because everything is becoming yes. digital. Like, you know, I mean, yes, everything, everything is, is changing. Yes. Um, and tell us about the Strike the Rock Women in Music Festival. Okay. Strike the Rock is basically an initiative by a major scale production. It will be held at Good Luck Bar on the 12th of August, August in okay. Newtown. In Newtown, yeah. Yes. We've played there before and we were um, mostly outnumbered by male bands. So it's really nice to know that the lineup yeah, consists yeah. of 80% women. Um, it's basically the whole concept behind that is to unite women because as a woman in the entertainment industry, especially as an unsigned artist, it's very hard to get on these stages yeah. because... Number one, you're black. Mm, mm-hmm. Number two, you're a woman. Yeah. So Opi Kopi doesn't want you. You know, rocking the daisies doesn't want you. That's the reality of it. And I'm saying this bravely on air yeah. because this <laughs> is what we've experienced. Unscripted, uncensored, you know? radio. Don't worry, it's okay. So to have a festival that focuses mainly on the woman's struggle is freaking phenomenal, especially with what's been happening in South Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have this track, Indot. And the reason why we call ourselves expressionists is that we wrote this song last year. But it's so relevant right to what's now. what's happening now, yeah. You know, and it's basically asking men to reclaim their lineage, you know. You guys were once great. Why are you now mm. hitting women? Like, that just doesn't make sense. How do you then go and burn a woman? Word. That doesn't make sense. And that's what we're about. And when we were approached by major scale... Hey, Sandile, you missed things for us, Baba. Yo, yo. <laughs> been a cold winter bruh. <laughs> yeah so it's it's great um i love the concept i love the idea uh, you, you know we have this conversation a lot on the show and my co-host he's not around shout out to Kamu. um but we always talk about how there's always this thing about women being um uh, i mean the lack of opportunities for women or it's a men's industry it within my circles my my own circles maybe i just hang around cool dudes i've never seen that it's like I've, I, I never, I would never think if I was hosting a, a festival, I would never think I'm not gonna get that band because they're ladies. Like I mean, it, that 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 subjugation doesn't come up. I mean, for me, it's just like, yo, are you guys good? Can I listen to the music? You're good. Okay, let's roll. I mean, is it actually an issue that just because you're women, we would not like we're not gonna have like I mean, some of the most the biggest musicians in South Africa are women. 
Okay, I love that. Yeah. I love that question because one of the artists we're featuring is Mpumi Lamini, and he did a lot of production with Lira. And we once had this conversation about women in music. I don't think it's the industry that's saying no to us. I feel like um, society has defined roles. So gender roles. Yeah. Talking so gender roles. When you look at Busim Klongo, Busim Klongo was aggressive on stage. You know, Miriam Makeva was aggressive on stage. She was like, I'm here. But now I feel that a lot of women in bands particular, like aren't aggressive enough. They want to be cute and they want to be sexy and they don't want to, <laughs> they don't want to talk about the real issues. Right. And I remember when Bumi Lamini and I were so talking. So it's like about record this. labels basically defining yes, what you should be as, exactly. as, as a, okay. Exactly. Right. And I remember when Bumi and I were having this conversation, he was like, Tandin Tuli is aggressive. Therefore she gets booked. Women don't get booked not because of gender roles, but, but because they don't want to be enough. aggressive. And that's something that we've taken on. And we've, we, I believe that our band has aggressive women. When we're mm-hmm. on stage, we don't play the cute girls who yeah, are here. Yeah. But we're like, listen, we have something to say. Listen to us. Yes. So you know, I mean, I, I agree because, but at the same time, I'm looking at, okay, let's talk about being sexy, right? You know, your Nadia Nakai's, your uh, Gigi Lemains and the, you know, bodysuits and stuff. I don't think that's that's a that's a that's a gender thing. I don't think there's anything feminist about that. You know, you're you're expressing yourself, you know, in your body. And what if Trey Songz takes off his shirt? Half of his half of his shows, he takes off his shirt. And like, oh my god! But and that's his thing. That. Chris Brown, you know, it's the whole not thing. Even about the but but when it's a man, it's like, yeah, it's all good. Men take off your shirts. The minute a woman comes on with a bra and panties, like, Mm-mm. why? You know what I mean? Again, I think society. to a certain ex- to a certain extent. There, there is um, a conflict of interest No, no, not a conflict of interest um, Double standard In regards to the way men are treated And the way women are treated Like, I mean, you can, you can say Oh my God, that dude is hot Right? You say, oh my God, that girl is hot Right? It's like, I oh, know Do not objectify me yeah. I mean, But I mean, like I, mean, I think it, we need to look at it objectively And whatever men do Like, there was that Facebook thing Remember that Facebook thing Where there's the guy the girl who keeps calling the guys like, yo, I want to have sex with you. I want to have sex with you. Let's have sex. And then this dude, everyone's walking by like, whatever. And she's grabbing him. And dude's like, no, I don't want to. And people, and then another dude comes in. He's like, yo, dog, go smash that. Right? <laughs> Reverses what roles were reversed. It was a dude going to woman. The minute, like three people in seconds were up and like, yo, what are you doing? I mean, yeah. I, even a, see a, a, a woman slap a man in Santon City Mall. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, what did he do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Let the, re- the the roles reverse. I mean, you know, I think for you to tackle cert- these kinds of issues, there needs to be objectivity. I mean, we cannot say just because he's a man and she's a woman, he's allowed to do this or she's allowed to on both perspectives. You know what I mean? I agree with that, but, but I is, am I being a male chauvinist right now? No, no, you're not. <laughs> Honestly, you're not. I totally agree with that. Like, for instance, as I um I mentioned that. For me, music wasn't my first choice. Like, I'm a law student. Okay. Right? So, when I... Are you saying this because Brian's around? <laughs> no, no, Brian, no. Brian, you've my show. Baba. No. So, when I have legal practicals and I walk into that courtroom, I don't want to be judged as a woman. Mm-hmm. Right? You're a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. Yeah. That's... I, I believe in a world where gender roles don't exist. And that's why I get damned. But you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I don't look at men and go, okay, open the door Mm, for me. mm. I don't like that. I don't like my boyfriend buying me stuff. No, I don't like that kind of stuff because when I talk about being, and I don't want to say feminist, Mm. you know, but like 
I if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be against certain things that men do, I should be against certain things that women, women do. do. Precisely. So yeah. if I was there in that group on that Facebook, I would have been like, "Dog, that's harassment." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Can you chill? Yeah, yeah leave him. Like, yeah. So I mean, well, you you don't believe in gender roles either. I, I want to get into gender roles. Like, <laughs> I, I okay. I'm. This is my opinion. Since it's my show, I'm allowed to say what I want. Okay. <laughs> um, I think I believe in gender roles in as much as they should not be limiting. So the reason why if I see a woman in the garden, I will go and assist her is because obviously our our physical, uh, the, the nature of our physicality, right? However, it doesn't mean that she shouldn't do it. I will assist. If she doesn't want to be assisted, it's cool. It's called chivalry, right? You know what I mean? So I'll try and help. But if she's like, nah, dog, I got it. I'm like, okay, cool. But I did, I did offer, right? I mean, I think that's what I believe in terms of gender roles. Like, um, cleaning the house, cooking. Those are things most guys, my generation grew up doing within the house. Everybody yeah. clean, clean your room, do, do yeah. your own dishes. So in as much as we're in the house, right? And I finish eating, like if I get home first, I'm going to cook. If you get home, I think with chivalry, it comes more with, because we're Africans at the end of the day. And what Africans do is traditionally, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, is take care of our women. Exactly. That, that's a done deal. It has nothing to do with, um, with being more powerful or you can't do it. It's just a matter of, ah, when I, after that nine months of caring, maybe let me try and assist you with this. It's assistance. I don't think it has anything to do with saying that you can't do it. That's my belief in regards to, to generals. Hey, the eyes that I'm getting right now. <laughs> Thank God we're about to wrap up. <laughs> How do people get a hold of PG-13, um, social media, websites, yada, yada? Okay, on Facebook, we are PG-13 underscore 13. How did you come oh, up with... How PG-13 PG PG underscore 13. How did you guys come up with the name PG-13? So it's a funny story, right? <laughs> so my little you got, sister... You got two minutes. Yeah. My little sister used to be part of the band, and then we kicked her out. So she comes home one day, and she's like, she's going to start her own band called PG-13. And we're like, we're I'm taking like, what? <laughs> You kick it out of the band, then you take her name too. <laughs> yes, that was the story. She better get royalties. Yeah. Okay, so it's PG underscore thirteen on, on Facebook. Facebook, and then on Instagram it's rated PG thirteen SA. Okay, sweet. Thank you very much, Angela Bongiwe. Um, when is the uh, the festival, by the way? On the twelfth of August at uh, the Good Luck Bar in Newtown, One Fox Street. Entrance fees a hundred bucks. bucks. And where do people get tickets? Um, at the door. Yes. At the door, yeah. Yeah, but it, there is a, um, Facebook event as well. Okay. You can also find it on hashtag striker, strike the rock. Yeah, strike the rock. Um, if you look under a major scale production as well, downtown ship as well, like. And on our page, PG our underscore page, 13. You can, can check, check out, out all the details there as well. Sweet. Y'all heard it. Thank you very much for, um, uh, for coming through the show, guys. Brian Kagoro. PG-13, Angela Bongier. That was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I hope everyone else thinks it was amazing. <laughs> MTV Boy, um, MTV Down South, um, episode seven, radio drama series. Catch it. It's about to come on now. No borders, cliffcentral.com. Every Friday, 1, 2 p.m. It's your boy KF100. MTVS stroke 413 stroke 107 stroke E. That's how we do it Welcome to MTV Sugar Down South. This is Q's story. I've always been popular. It's not that I try. People just gravitate towards me and I never have to look for friends. But I'm actually really shy and insecure all the time. I'm just pretending to be cool. 
But I do have some solid peeps in my life, like my boy Reggie. Hey, calm, dog. Yeah. Come on, come on, come on. It's a team sport, boy. It's a team sport, hey, Don't boy. be a hater, dog. Just calm, dog. Come on. Yeah. Why are you always going to be the steering when I sign, yeah? Why the defenders always hitting on the strikers, dog? <laughs> Listen to this guy. And get less vice. Away, 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 away. And then there's my queen. My Ndwana. Ibilang. I don't know how I got her. She's the smartest and the most beautiful girl in Zenzele. But she never has time for me anymore. And I don't know how to handle it. Hey. Dude, I'm on my way out, yeah? Hi, Antoana. I'm going to see her all this weekend. Please. You know it's working these days. You're not starting with me. You know how hard it's been. I just thought it was getting better. You're coming back to school though, right? Yes, I am, but I still need to make a living. Kyubuga. We're barely coping here. Relax. I just miss you, that's all. But I'm not allowed to miss you now. It's all about the phone calls, all about the texts. All about the wife that gets this time to get sections. It's about the hard times. But then Ipilene came to watch me play soccer. It's been a while. I always play better when she's around. Yeah, you made it. We need to talk, Quentin. Quentin? Okay, this is not good. This morning made me realize... Okay, I'm about it. And I realized that I was a bit of a prick about... No, they're wetting the bed, so I am sorry. It's not even about that. I just think that we need to take a break. Take a break? You were right. I just have a lot on my plate right now. And there's no space for me on that plate. Is that it? No. Come on, you know, like, Antona, please, don't, don't do this. I need some time, you know, like, like, how much time do you need, Ippy? Okay, please. You know what, no, take all the time you need. But I'm not going to wait for that plate to make space for me. Are you kidding me? What the hell just happened? You... Had me running, falling down over nothing. Was it always true? Was At it least I still have Reggie and the soccer crew on my side. Some things are still normal. So what's the plan for the weekend? Uh, Deliza saw a couple of walls in Section 5. Why are you hanging out with that morphy these days? She's a cool guy, though. Yeah, but he takes her like a girl. So? Does that bother you? What are you saying, dude? I mean, does it affect you who the guy wants to be with in his life? No, I don't care. As long as he doesn't try anything with me. So let's say I was gay. I mean, still be my boy would be all cool, you know? Uh, but you're not, Doc. But I am. Since when? Since forever, man. I mean, I've just come to terms with it recently. Okay. Okay, so um. That, that means we're good, right? I mean, okay is good. I mean, I really need you to be cool with this. Yeah. Yeah, no, dog, we're good. How are you? I mean, what was I supposed to say? Is it just me? Or is the whole world going crazy? I thought if I just ignored what he'd said, it would all go away. I'm telling you, boys, they were all close up in each other's heads, <laughs> bro. Hugging yeah, yeah, even. Come on, stop it. Uh, right. uh, you look like they're already happy between you guys. Are cute dog. Just tell us the truth. Come on, man. Cute. So you're like don't busy on the man match and Hey, dog. So you knew about all of this? Come on, dog. You not know about this, bro. It's talking rubbish. Ah, dog. Ah, rich, dog. Just tell them I didn't know about this, bro. We're good. <laughs> hey, tell them I didn't know about this. Hey, what the hell, bro? Oh, yeah.
What do I do now? What did he expect me to do? I mean, all the guys were there and they look up to me. I never have a choice. I did that. Reggie is my best friend and he trusted me. I'm the worst friend anyone could ask for. I try to make it up to him. Hey, bro. Okay, so look, I realize I messed up. I'm sorry, bro. Just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. Just say anything. No, no, there's, there's nothing you can do, dude. I'm gonna have your back this time. I promise. I take respect seriously, you understand? And... You made it quite clear that me and you, we can't be friends anymore. Hard truth? Life doesn't always go your way. But I'm not the same Q anymore. From now on, I'm going to decide who I am. No more following the crowd. I will get my best friend back. And my girl. Watch the space. How would you react if one of your friends told you they were gay? Hit us up via USSD by texting star 134 star 7714 hash with your answer. A. I'd be supportive. B. I'd freak out. C. Stay away from them. Or D. I would accept their decision, but I could never respect it. Terms and conditions apply. MTV Sugar Down South was proudly brought to you by MTV Stain Alive Foundation, Positive Action, Children's Investment Fund Foundation, Mari Stopes International, Department of Basic Education South Africa, PEPFAR, USAID, and MTV Base. That's how we do it on this is cliffcentral.com.